Hi, anybody else listening? This is chapter 15 from All You Need Is Love by Tanya Guerrero. That night, I was supposed to sleep early so I could wake up for my morning excursion to the amusement park with Joaquin. But after hours of tossing and turning and listening to the creaks of the apartment, I gave up trying. I got dressed. I tipped out outside. I hopped, skipped, and jumped over the broken cobblestones and drunkards, and found myself at the back door of El Rincón del Pan. Tony opened the door a crack. For a second, all he saw was one blue eyeball. Alba, he said, opening the door wide. Why am I not surprised? I couldn't sleep. I went inside and took a deep breath. With, mmm, do I smell cinnamon? He grinned. You have a good nose. I'm making torrijas. What are torrijas? I asked. I'll show you, he said, nudging me toward a tray on the counter. Torrijas are a Spanish version of French toast. Traditionally, they're eaten during Easter, but these days we enjoy them all year round. I make some whenever I have day-old bread. I peeked into the tray and saw thick slices of bread drowning in fragrant milk. What's in it? Eggs, milk, sugar, cinnamon, and some orange zest. Ooh, I want to try that next time I make French toast. Add that orange zest. The slices need to suck up the milk and egg mixture mixture for an hour or so, and then we'll pan-fry them with some olive oil. The finishing touch will be a coating of cinnamon sugar. Wheel? Tony, Tony shrugged. Por supuesto, you are here to help, aren't you? I grinned and put on an apron. We went over to the stove, and Tony showed me how to fry up the torricas until they were golden brown. Then we placed them on some paper towels to drain off the excess oil before dipping them into the cinnamon sugar mixture. You got, you got it under control? he asked. Yep. Tony went off to another counter to shape some dough while I finished the rest of the torricas. At first we didn't talk much. He was busy concentrating, and so was I. But as I stared into the cast-iron frying pan, watching the pieces of bread caramelize, thoughts were cooking up in my head, and the questions, all sorts of questions, nagged me. Tony, I said, keeping my eye on the pan. See? So, like, how come you and my mom lost touch? Did something happen? I didn't dare look at Tony, but I could hear his dough scraper sweeping the counter. He exhaled. <sighs> it's complicated. With my spatula, I took out the crooked torricas, oops, not crooked, cooked torricas, and slid them gently onto the paper towels. Then I turned around, glaring at Tony until he met my gaze. I'm almost 13. My parents kicked me out and sent me to live with a grandmother I barely know, to a country I barely know, and here I am. It's four in the morning, and I'm standing here making Spanish-French toast with some guy I barely know. I think I can handle complicated. <laughs> Good line. Nice, Alba. Tony plopped a dough ball into a basket. I'm sorry, you're right. He went over to the other side of the counter and pulled out two stools. Sit, he said. I should have been eager for answers after that whole spiel, but suddenly I wasn't so sure. Did I want to know? I hesitated and then sat next to him. Like I said, your mom and I were the best of friends. He paused for a second, peeling bits of dough from his cuticles. Actually, we were more than friends. My back snapped straighter. Really? Oh my gosh, I totally called this. Okay. No, no, nothing like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was wrong. I'm the same thinking as Alba here. <coughs> we were more like brother and sister. Neither of us had siblings, and when we were growing up, a lot of the times it felt as if all we had was each other. Oh, I said. But I think, but things changed after high school. We went off in different directions. I took an apprenticeship at a bakery working long shifts. 
I guess I wasn't around much. Your mom didn't know what she wanted in life. Then she met your father in Ibiza one summer. As they say, he swept her off her feet. She decided that what she wanted was to move away from everything she'd ever known, away from your grandmother, away from me. His voice faded. The blue in Tony's eyes softened. It was like watching a bright blue flower slowly wither. So you never saw her after that, I asked. I did, many years later, when I was working at a bakery in New York. I was arranging some bread, and she walked in, just like that. I saw her before she saw me. But as soon as she did, as soon as she recognized who I was, she gasped. She put her hand on her heart, and then she ran off. I called out to her, but it was too late. She was gone. I furrowed my brows. But why? I wish I knew Alba. All these years, I've been so worried about her. I've written emails, letters. She's never replied. Your abuela said it's because, because your father doesn't want her speaking to anyone from her past, not even her own mother. Oh boy, whew, that's a red flag. Tony stopped talking, fiddled with his apron. My ears were burning, the heat spreading to my cheeks, my neck, my chest, my stomach. I knew my father wanted to control everything mom did, everyone she spoke to. I knew because he tried to do the same to me tried but failed to be honest i didn't want to remember but a memory just barged into my head that first time i'd cut my own hair i'd had to use the kitchen shears for years i'd beg my mom and my dad to let me get a short haircut no they said every single time i asked after a while mom just ignored me but my dad he got angrier and angrier his face and neck turning a deep crimson as he reached out and slammed whatever object was closest to him a glass a book a vase not my daughter he'd shout loud and clear that day though i'd finally dared that oh, sorry that day though the day i'd finally dared to do it myself it was me he'd slammed against a wall i don't know who you are anymore but you're not my daughter he spat out oh my gosh Oof. <sighs> i know this is such an obvious counselor moment but you know that if anybody ever no matter who they are or how much you love them, does that to you, you know you have to tell another grown-up, right? Yep, you know? Okay, just checking. Okay, a single tear escaped from the corner of my eye. I wiped it away, embarrassed by my sudden burst of emotion. I'm sorry if this upset you, upsets you, said Tony. It's all right. I hopped off the stool. I asked. You answered. He stood. For a moment, he turned one direction and then another, and then another, as if finding his bearings. A few awkward seconds passed, then he halted in front of a giant plastic bin of dough. You want to learn how to make ensaimada? Ensaimada? I stepped forward. I tightened my apron. I held my chin high. Yes, I do. I was going to learn how to make ensaimada, and there was nothing anyone could do to stop me. Chapter 16. Need. More. Sleep. These were the words groaning in my head as I waited for Marie in front of a restaurante chino. The plan was that, that we would all meet there and then head to El Tibidabo. Hey, Marie called to me. I blinked and purposefully opened my eyes as wide as I would go. Maybe I would seem more awake. Hey, I said back. Marie was wearing a purple skirt the color of grape soda, the kind that twirled into a circle, and a yellow blouse, blouse with sleeves that flared like tulips. I must have had a funny look on my face because she glanced down at her outfit and frowned. What? she asked. Um, aren't you a tad overdressed for an amusement park? Overdressed? I pointed at her skirt. 
How are you supposed to go on rides and stuff with a skirt on? I mean, unless you're okay with everyone seeing your underwear. Oh, I don't do rides, she said matter-of-factly. You don't do rides? No, why? Well, uh, what are you going to do while we're there? Marie whipped out her sketchbook with her tote bag. Uh, from her tote bag. I'll sketch. Suit yourself, I replied with a shrug. Buenos dias. We turned around. Joaquin was moseying toward us with a big grin plastered on his face. His hair was even shaggier than I remembered, and the way he was dressed, with a cotton tunic, loose bell-bottom jeans, and a floppy hat, reminded me of Zoot, the Muppet House Band saxophone player. From the corner of my eye, I could see that Marie was amused, shocked, horrified. I couldn't quite tell which one. Uh, Joaquin bent down to kiss Marie on both cheeks. Hola, I'm Joaquin. You're tall, she said, raising her head to get a good look at him. Really? he replied sarcastically. I slapped my forehead with my hand. Okay, okay, Marie, this is Joaquin. Joaquin, this is Ma Marie. Can we go now? He grinned again. Por supuesto, vámonos, chicas. According to Joaquin, it was a leisurely stroll to Plaza de Catalunya, where we would catch the subway, which would take us to a tram, which would take us to a cable car, which would take us near enough to walk to El Tibidabo. Except his legs were way longer than mine and Marie's, so we straggled behind. When we weren't concentrating on dodging tourists and street performers and vendors, Marie would interrogate me with this squinty-eyed look on her face. Is that eyeliner he's wearing? Are you sure he's only 13? Can we trust him? Has your abuela even met him? After a while, I just swatted her arm and said, Do you really think Tony would send us off with an axe murderer? Marie raised an eyebrow. Well, what if he doesn't know? He could be an axe murderer, a drug dealer, a kidnapper, a cult recruiter. Possibilities are endless. We are here. The L7 train. Joaquin finally halted, pointing at the L7 sign with a lopsided grin. Marie and I glanced at each other, and we both giggled. Joaquin looked down at his feet over his shoulder and all around. Did I make a joke or something? Something like that, said Marie. Joaquin frowned. I do not get it. We're just being silly, Joaquin. Come on, I said, shaking my head. We descended into the subway station. For a second, it reminded me of New York City. Only for a second, though, because the station was clean, and it didn't smell like pee. I searched for graffiti, but there was none. When the sleek red and white train pulled in, it wasn't crammed with weirdos. <laughs> okay, maybe just a couple weirdos. Marie sat down next to a half-asleep geezer, and Joaquim and I stood, gripping the metal pole so we wouldn't fall over when the train swerved. Your friend, I do not think she likes me, said Joaquim, hunching down so he was closer to my ear. I peered up at him. He had this hurt look on his face, like a puppy that had been screamed at for pooping on the floor. It was adorable. Don't worry about it. I'm sure you'll grow on her. He furrowed his brows. Grow? Like a plant? I had to keep myself from laughing, so I tried to make my face as stiff as possible. It's just a saying, Joaquin. It means that eventually she'll want to be your friend. Ah. Joaquin stood tall and pulled his shoulders back. And you, Alba, do you want to be my friend? I could feel the back of my neck get hot. All I could do was stare at my sneakers. Yeah, sure. Joaquin didn't reply, but he nudged me with his elbow. Elbow. Avingura tibidabo, announced the conductor. When we exited the subway station, we were in an entirely different part of Barcelona. The wide avenue was lined with trees. There weren't any buildings crammed together. Instead, there were houses, mega-huge and fancy ones, with turrets and balconies and painted tiles and arched windows and manicured gardens. The vibe felt somewhat like the Upper East Side of Manhattan, or Central Park West, or Greenwich Village, neighborhoods where rich people lived. In a way, it reminded me of home. Except these homes had nothing had had something artsy about them, as if they were eccentric painters like Picasso and Dali still living here. 
Marie already had her nose tucked into her sketchbook. Every few seconds she would glance at one of the mansions while her hand drew lines and curves on the paper. We will miss the tramvia blau if you keep on sticking your head in that notebook, Joachim said with a chuckle. Marie rolled her eyes. It's a sketchbook. Besides, I thought you were in charge of this outing. Claro que si. Of course, said Joaquin, backing away from Marie. I wanted to laugh. It was like watching a mouse intimidate a giraffe. Ding, ding, ding. Joaquin parted the curtain of his hair in front of his eyes. Ay, it is here, the tramvia, he said, pointing down the street. I followed his finger. An old-fashioned blue tram with a bright red bumper was approaching us. After a minute, it stopped. Marie tucked her sketchbook under her arm, but not for long. <coughs> as soon as we got on board, she found a window seat and whipped it out again. You okay here by yourself, I asked. Yeah, don't worry. Go find a seat. I'll just be here sketching anyway, she said, waving me on. I followed Joaquim to the back of the tram. It was crowded, but we managed to smush ourselves into a wooden seat meant for one. Joaquim's knees jutted out into the aisle, jabbing unsuspecting strangers. Disculpame, he said sheepishly every single time someone glared at him. The, tra the tram took off. At first it was quiet. All I did was peer out the window of the passing at the passing scenery. There were rows of trees with pale dappled trunks and vibrant green leaves. There were people, lots of them, enjoying the warm summer breeze. And the houses, each one seemed grander than the next, the more uphill we went. Joaquin poked his head next to mine. One day, I would like to live here, he said wistfully. For a second, I didn't reply. An image flashed in my mind of me and Abuela Lola and Mom inside one of those houses. Sunlight was streaming through the windows. Mom was in a white dress and red shoes, twirling round and round as David Bowie sang Let's Dance. Abuela Lola gazed at her and smiled, and I watched them both, my skin tingling from happiness. Alba, Joaquim said. I blinked, and then blinked again, trying to erase the image from my consciousness. Uh, so, Joaquim, where do you live, anyway? Far, on the other side of town, in Poblenu. It is an interesting neighborhood. Lots of factories and warehouses. But my mother is an artist, so she needs the big space for her paintings. Ah, I nodded. It was the first time he'd mentioned his mom. I was intrigued and curious, but I had no idea how to pry without sounding nosy. An artist, huh? I finally said. Yes, a hungry artist, he replied with a cringe. You mean a starving artist? See. Joaquin tucked his hair behind his ear, and I could see both his eyes. They were big and sort of multicolored like marbles, filled with swirls of blue and gray and brown and green. My mother, she believes art has value just because it is art. She and my father, they used to fight a lot. She says he works too much, he only cares about money, and my father, he gets angry because he says, you cannot eat paintings, but you can eat bread, sell bread to pay the bills. He shrugged, he shrugged. So one day she left and took me with her. That was five years ago. I turned away from his gaze and stared at my lap. So his mom left Tony. I should have felt bad for him, but all I felt was envy. I wished my mom had the guts to leave my father a long time ago. I'm sorry. I found his marble eyes again. That must have been hard. He shrugged. Un poquito, but it's better now. They do not fight so much anymore. I went back to the window, except it wasn't the trees or the passers-by or the mansions I was seeing. It was my own reflection on the glass. Just me. The sunlight was shining from behind me like a bright, blinding spotlight, reminding me of how lonely I suddenly felt. Hmm. Chapter 17 Sparkly Water Break with Ice <clears throat> I 
El Tibidabo, which remember she thinks it's an amusement park, wasn't at all what I was expecting. I thought we were going to an amusement park like Six Flags or Universal or even Disneyland. El Tibidabo was on top of a mountain overlooking the entire city of Barcelona and the sea and horizon beyond it. Ooh, I'm going to read that again. That sounds beautiful. El Tibidabo was on top of a mountain overlooking the entire city of Barcelona and the sea and horizon beyond it. <coughs> the amusement park itself was pretty small, with only a handful of dinky rides. Well, not dinky, but kind of old-timey. And behind it was a humongous cathedral with pointy turrets that reminded me of icicles. I thought it was kind of weird that there was a place of worship so close by. Praying and roller coasters didn't seem to go together, but in Spain, I guess they did. First, we will ride el avión, and then we can eat. See? said Joaquim at the entrance. My stomach grumbled. It was still kind of early for Spanish lunch, but the long journey had made me hungry. Can we just eat first? Joaquim shook his head. No, it's tradition. El avión always comes first. You don't exactly seem like the traditional type, said Marie, peeking from the top of her sketchbook. All right, whatever. When in Rome, right? I said. But we are in Barcelona. Oh, but we heard in Barcelona. Joaquim had that dopey puppy dog look on his face again. Marie slammed her sketchbook and stared at him, as if she were trying to figure out if he was for real or not. I mean, I guess it wasn't his fault that the occasional phrase was lost in translation. Joaquim's English was pretty good, much better than my Spanish. But since he didn't go to an American school like Marie did, surely there would be times when he'd get confused. I nudged Marie with my elbow and smiled. Of course, Barcelona. I mean, it's right there. It's right there, all around us. I exclaimed with a sweep of my hand. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm going to go study that view of um, Barcelona and dry. Just come find me when it's time to eat. Marie waved and took off toward a walkway leading to the cathedral. Vamonos! Before I could even react, Joaquim tugged on my wrist and dragged me toward God knows where. Several seconds passed, and then we arrived at a small boxy white structure with a crane on top. On the crane was an ancient red airplane from like a hundred years ago. Uh, we're going on that? Joaquim's eyeballs were all shiny. It's amazing, no? I wanted to glare at him and say no, but I didn't want to rain all over his parade. So instead I imagined that my eyeballs were also super shiny, and then I said, totally, as if this ridiculous ride was the coolest thing ever. We went into the building. It was empty except for the dudes that worked there. They checked our tickets and then led us to a metal staircase that was more like a ladder. Clang! Our footsteps vibrated through the metal. I leaned closer to Joaquim and whispered, How come we're the only ones here? He frowned. Most people, they prefer the newer rides, but trust me, El Avio is a legend. Okay, I said, ducking my head so I could get into the plane. The interior was mint green and black with touches of wood. There was a row of seats on either side. Since Joaquim was so tall, he had to bend over to get inside. He tucks him, tucked himself into the front seat, and I plopped into the one next to it. Whirr, 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 whirr. The plane started moving. So slow, I thought it was just the wind rocking it around. Oh, sorry, rocking it forward. But then I glanced at Joaquim and he gave me a thumbs up. Three, two, one, go, he yelled. Go we did, except we still weren't going very fast. Is it supposed to speed up, I asked? No, the plane only cruises. Cruises? Last time I checked, cruising went faster than a snail. Joaquim poked my arm with his finger and then he pointed outside my window. You're missing it. Just relax and enjoy. I slumped back in my seat and looked outside. The plane was creeping past the edge of a precipice, and suddenly there was nothing below us. Whoa, 
I mumbled under my breath. Yes, totally well, Joaquin said with a big grin. When I was small, I begged my papa to take me again and again and again. My heart tightened in my chest. I pretended to look out the window so Joaquin wouldn't see the slickness in my eyes. In my eyes, What he'd said reminded me of the one great memory I had of my father before everything fell apart. I was maybe three or four. We were in Central Park, just me and him. It was the first warm weekend of spring, so the park was full of families and tourists and joggers and dog walkers and people lazing on blankets reading their books. I was sitting on his shoulders. My father gazed up at me with his deep blue eyes and said, You want to give the carousel a whirl, Alba? I bounced on his shoulders excitedly because for the longest time I'd wanted to ride the Central Park carousel, but Mom had always nixed the idea. Every single time she would say something like, She's too small or she's not ready or maybe next time. But this time was the next time, because Mom was at a charity luncheon and my father was in charge. As soon as we'd entered the circular brick building, my father carried me off his shoulders and placed me right in front of the carousel. Take your pick, he said. I scanned the various horses. Almost immediately, I spotted a black stallion with a white mane and tail. It was the fastest one. I was sure of it. That one, I proclaimed. You sure you don't want the pink one, he said, pointing at a pastel pink one with a rainbow striped saddle. I shook my head adamantly. Okay, then. After you paid for the ticket, he led me to the black stallion and helped me get on. You hold on tight. I'll be over there watching. The music started and my horse galloped up and down, up and down as the carousel revolved. It was dizzying, but it was also exhilarating. A few minutes passed and then it stopped. When my father came to get me, I clung to my horse and said, again, again. My father chuckled. All right, this time I'll tell them to go even faster, he said with a wink. I rode the carousel six more times after that. Alba, look, I blinked. Joaquin was pointing at someone through the window. It was Marie. She was standing on a concrete ledge waving at us. I waved back, unsure if she could see us. But it didn't matter. I smiled at her. Then I smiled at Joaquin. The plane went around over the precipice again. Whoa. And it was at that very moment that I realized something. The long flight across the ocean, the one that I'd been so unsure about, it had brought me to a better place, a better life. Mom had been right all along. <clears throat> ¿Qué quieres tomar? asked the concession stand guy. I grabbed my sandwich from him, eyeing the row of bottled drinks. Um, Coke? Coca-Cola? I replied. He was about to hand me an ice-cold can of Coke when, on either side of me, Joaquin and Marie simultaneously shouted, Espera! Un momento, por favor. I glanced at them. What? And Marie placed her hand on my arm, shaking her head as if she, if I just committed the most atrocious mistake known to man. Fanta, she said. Joaquin nodded in agreement. Fanta. I shrugged and looked back at the concession stand guy, who by then had his head tilted impatiently. Fanta, please, I said. Limón o naranja? With my elementary school Spanish, I figured he was asking if I wanted lemon or orange flavor. Naranja. I attempted to say the ha part sounded like I was laughing. Ha, ha, ha. Not anywhere near the way the, guy, the concession guy had said it. Hard, the ha, sounding as if he were clearing his throat. Naranja. The concession stand guy shook his head back and forth and mumbled, Guidi, under his breath as he handed me the can of Fanta. I wasn't sure what Guidi was supposed to mean, but I could tell it wasn't something nice. All of a sudden... Joaquim stepped real close to the counter and with an angry frown said, Oye, tío, lo siento, lo siento, the concession guy held his hands up and backed off. I had no idea what the disagreement was about. Instinctively, though, I knew it must have been about me. 
My face got hotter and hotter as I watched. An awkward moment passed. Marie gestured at the seating area. Come on, I'm hungry. Joaquin glared at the concession stand guy one more time before taking me by the wrist toward an empty table with a white umbrella. It was situated near the Ferris wheel overlooking the entire vista of Barcelona. Uh, once we were seated, I looked back and forth between the two of them. So what was that all about? Guidi is an insult, said Joaquin, crossing his arms like he was still pissed off. An insult, figures. Insult might be a bit of an exaggeration. It's more of a pejorative term for tourists, usually Americans or Brits who stick out like sore thumbs. You know, the ones who don't even make an effort to learn the local customs and language, explained Marie. But that's not you, Alba, not at all. That guy doesn't know what he's talking about. It was obvious she was trying to make me feel better. I couldn't help but wonder if he was right, though. Was I just a clueless American tourist? Marie fiddled with her sketchbook. Let's just forget about that guy, okay? Vale. Joaquin nodded and uncrossed his arms. All right, I said. It was silent for a moment. Our eyes dodged one another's as we tried but failed to avoid the awkwardness. Marie kept on fiddling with her sketchbook so much that... Uh-oh. I said I wasn't going to yawn. What time is it? 9.30. I'm going to keep reading still. <clears throat> One more sip. Give me energy, sparkle water. Let's see. Blah, blah, blah. Marie kept on fiddling with her sketchbook so much that Joaquin's gaze fell on it. He reached forward with his finger until he almost touched its cover. Can I take a look, he asked. I expected her to roll her eyes and snatch it away. She didn't, though. It was almost as if the greedy thing had softened her somehow. Sure, she replied, pushing it toward him. Joaquin wiped his hands on his pants. When he was sure they were clean, he opened the sketchbook, studying each and every page with his humongous eyes. Marie pretended to look at the view while I pretended to read the ingredients of my fanta. It was weird how quiet it was again. Finally, Joaquin closed the sketchbook. Your drawings are beautiful, Marie. Like Vincent Mahé, but with softer colors. You know Vincent Mahé's work? said Marie, leaning so far forward that her chest was on the table. See, si, mi mamá, she has a collection of his books in her studio. Huh. It was silent. I curled the tip of my finger onto the tab, tab of, my fant of my fanta. <laughs> That's not what that sounds like. You know, the sound when you open a can of pop. <laughs> the orange soda fizzed out of the opening, spilling onto the table. I quickly took a sip. Joaquin grinned. So did Marie. We forgot napkins. She got up and headed back to the concession stand. That's when Joaquin scooted his chair closer to mine and whispered, Alba, think I'm growing on her yet? I gazed at the seriousness in his expression. Wide eyes, creased forehead, lips parted in anticipation. It was so sweet. I think so, Joaquin. He beamed like the Empire State Building on the 4th of July. And then he unwrapped his ham sandwich and took a big bite. Chapter 18 When we got back home, Marie dashed off to the restaurant. I have to help set up for dinner. Later! And then it was just Joaquim and me loafing around out front. It was dusk, but the street lamps weren't on yet, so everything was cloaked in a gray veil of light. All the colors were duller and darker. The shadows... The shadows hadn't yet appeared. I glanced up at the apartment windows. It was glowing bright from within, like a beacon signaling me to come home. But I didn't want to. Not yet. Thanks for today. It was fun, I said, stepping back and forth side to side, wishing there was some pole or something I could lean on. You're welcome. Joaquin's smile was lopsided, as if it couldn't decide which way to curve. You want to walk to the bakery with me? He asked. Sure. Okay. 
We strolled. It was weird because I wasn't used to strolling. In New York City, people speed walked. Anyone who dared walk slow would get the stink eye. In Barcelona, though, people took their time to breathe, to see things, to stop and take a rest if needed. All the shops and bars and restaurants were pretty busy, but it wasn't the kind of busy that was frantic. Men and women were seated at sidewalk cafes, drinking glasses of wine, accompanied by little plates of olives and cheeses. Kids still still out and about were playing by the fountains, hopping on and off benches while their parents window shopped. So, I muttered under my breath, felt like I should say something, but I didn't know what. Suddenly, though, I heard a song. It was faint at first. I stopped walking and listened. Ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-changes. It was him, David Bowie. His voice was floating from an alleyway. Did you hear that? I said to Joaquin. He looked confused for a minute, but then he tucked his long hair behind his ear and turned and tuned in to the sound. Bowie! Genial! Come on! We ran toward the singing. It got louder as we approached an unassuming bar. The exterior was black, adorned with red roses, and through the window I could see a chandelier, upside-down lamps, and weird-looking murals of masked people. Ch-ch-changes. It was quiet, except for the song and our breathing. Joaquim and I stood there listening to the lyrics about accepting change, getting older, and youth, and alienation, and finding your identity in this crazy world we live in. I'd always loved that song, but it had never taken hold of me like it did at that moment. It felt like a sign from the universe, a period at the end of a never-ending sentence, a deep breath after having held held it for a very long time. Everything I had inside, all the sadness, all the rage, all the frustration, all the pain, all the joy came out all at once. My breath heaved, the tears rolled down my face, dropping from my chin to my shirt. I should have been ashamed. Crying is undignified. It wasn't, though. I wasn't ashamed. Not anymore. I gazed at Joaquin through the wetness in my eyes. For some reason, I expected him to look all embarrassed and uncomfortable like most teenage boys um, would, but instead he moved closer and waited for me, like a tree with a mossy trunk inviting you to sit down and lean on it. I crumpled against his chest and cried some more. Eventually, the song ended. I tilted my head up high so I could see his face. I'm sorry. It's just a lot has happened, you know, and David Bowie, this song, it... You must not explain all, but I understand. This is why I love music so much. Thanks. I pulled away and wiped my cheeks with the back of my hand. Joaquim stuck his arm out. We should go, because they might think we're trying to sneak into the bar, no? Right, I giggled. We looped arms and skipped down the street like a couple of clowns. When we got to the bakery, we jostled past all the customers taking advantage of the end-of-day 50% off bread. Tony was behind the counter bagging loaves and handing out change. Despite the chaos, he managed to smile and greet each and every person by name. Without saying a word, Joaquim jumped into action, taking over the bagging as Tony manned the register. Me, on the other hand, I did nothing. I watched them, father and son, working together. Despite whatever strained relationship they had, at least they had one. There was a chemistry, a choreography, an invisible string that connected them, something I definitely didn't have with either of my parents. I breathed in the intoxicating smell of bread. It calmed me. It made me feel like I was meant to be there. The paper bags crinkled. The loaves slid and hit the bottom with a thud. The register dinged. The old lady said, gracias, or buenas noches, and Tony replied and waved, or waved and replied, hasta luego, señora, adding each one's name. Finally, the bakery was empty. Almost all the bread was gone. Gracias, mijo. Tony pulled Joaquim closer and hugged him from the side. 
Joaquin didn't say anything, not one word. He just grinned and fell into the embrace of the faint blush on his cheeks. Alba, would you like to join us for an early dinner? I have some cream of tomato soup in the back, and we can make some grilled cheese sandwiches with this leftover bread, said Tony, lifting the lone batad from the display case. Oh, um, it was tempting, but I'd already hijacked the excursion to El Tibirabo. I wasn't about to steal any more of their father's son bonding time. Joaquim shot me a pleading look from across the room. I shuffled my feet for a second or two. Nah, I should get back to Abuela Lola. I'm sure she's expecting me, I said. Of course, but you'll come back on Monday, see? I think it's time you learned how to make your own dough from scratch. I stopped shuffling and looked right into Tony's smiling eyes. Really? Really. I ran to the counter, hopped over, and hugged him. Thank you, thank you. Yes, I'll be here at the usual time. Good. My shoes dropped back onto the floor. I glanced at Joaquin. At Joaquin. He was stiff and awkward like a coat rack in the middle of an empty room. Want to walk me out? I asked him. Sure. He came around to where I was standing. Adios, Tony, I said. Adieu. That's in Catalan. You're going to have to learn it one of these days, he said with a wink. Great. As if having to learn Spanish wasn't bad enough. I walked to the door and then outside with Joaquim close behind. At the entrance, I turned and faced him. Thanks again for everything. His cheeks were blushing again. Any time. Okay, bye. Adieu. I trudged off slowly, but I could still feel his eyes on the back of my skull watching me. Alba! I paused and swiveled around. Yeah? Will you help with my band? Joaquim had that puppy dog expression again. I frowned. But I don't know anything about starting a band. But you know music and you feel it here, he said, grasping his heart. That much was true. I didn't want to disappoint him. And besides, it might be fun. I inhaled and then mumbled, I can try. Perfecto. I ran off before he could utter another word, because the last thing I wanted to do was change my mind. I was back in my room trying to decide if it was too early to get into pajamas and if Abuela Lola would care if I wore them for dinner when I heard a sound through my open window. Psst! Alba! I stuck my head out and spotted Marie. She was looking up. Alba! It was almost as if she was whispering and screaming at the same time. Yeah? I shouted back. She waved me down. Okay, okay, just give me a minute. Tossed my pajamas on the bed and jogged along the hallway. Just going to see Marie for a bit, I said to Abuela Lola who was busy cooking something in the kitchen. Bloody, bloody, blah. She mumbled back. Whatever she'd said didn't sound all that important, so I kept on going. By the time I got outside, Marie was seated on a bench, tapping her fingers impatiently. Finally, she said, exhaling as if she'd been waiting forever. I plopped down next to her. Finally what? Finally I got to hear what happened after I left. What do you mean? I asked. With you and Joaquin. Me and Joaquin? I raised my eyebrows. Marie giggled and poked me with her elbow. I think he likes you. Me? Yeah, you. Is there another you on this bench? I scrunched my nose and leaned my back straight against the wooden bench. It was only then I realized how crowded the alleyways were. The thrones almost seemed as if they were following one another, like a bunch of ants carrying breadcrumbs, single file. Where are all these people going? I asked. Marie followed my gaze. Back to their hotels and bed and breakfast and Airbnbs. They'll drop off all their shopping bags, shower, rest, and then come out again for dinner and drinks. It's like this every evening, every summer. Huh. Okay, I'm going to take a sip. How about two sips? Okay. There was a moment, sort of quiet, but not. And then Marie exhaled again. So? I glanced at her and squinted. There's no so. Nothing. Nada. 
Joaquim and I just hung out for a bit, and then we went to El Rincón del Pan. Even though everything I'd said was true, my cheeks felt warmer than usual. I mean, sure, I left out the part about the bar, the David Bowie song, and Joaquim comforting me right smack in the middle of the street, but that wasn't exactly a so, was it? Really? She didn't look convinced. Well, he did ask me to help with his band. Aha! Marie bounced off her seat with a grin on her face. I scowled. It's nothing, I swear. We'll see. I racked my brain for something clever to say, a retort, the last snappy word, but I couldn't think of anything, so I went back to leaning on the bench and crossed my arms over my chest. All I could do was watch the, the amp people navigate the streets in front of me. We'll see. Marie's words echoed in my ears over and over again. Chapter 19. It was way too early. I could tell because the sunlight barely penetrated through the curtains. Maybe I should have closed my eyes and gone back to sleep. I'd stayed up late, playing changes over and over again. I couldn't stop thinking about Marie and Joaquim and El Tibidabo and the bar in the alley where I cried with Joaquim's arms wrapped around me. We'll see. My cheeks got all warm and tingly. There was no way I could go back to sleep, especially with the pigeons cooing outside, like a billion of them. I sat up. The mattress creaked under my butt. The door opened. Abuela Lola's eyeball peeked through. Ah, you're awake, she said, stepping inside. Unfortunately, she opened the curtains and then turned around, her face brighter than the sun. Well, if you're up for it, Eduardo and Manny have invited you to Els Encants. Els Encants? It's Barcelona's biggest flea market. Not to be missed, she said, peeling the quilt off me. As soon as I heard her say flea market, my muscles tensed like those of a cat about to pounce. I love thrift stores and flea markets and junkyards, basically any place with lots of old stuff. Secondhand objects somehow felt alive to me. The little spots and cracks told stories. The faded patina from people's hands. I tried to imagine who they were. Mom always said old stuff reeked of dust and mothballs and death. And my dad, well, he preferred everything to be new and shiny and expensive. Maybe that's why they got rid of me. I wasn't new anymore. Definitely wasn't shiny. And maybe I reeked too. I sighed and then hopped off my bed. I'll get dressed. Abuela Lola smiled. Good. There's toast and coffee in the kitchen. Sara Montiel, Eduardo, and Manny's tiny frog. Oh, Sara Montiel, Eduardo, and Manny's tiny frog car zipped through the streets. I had no idea how Eduardo did it. He was like a Formula One race car driver. At times he went so fast, Sato would glide over a bump, flying for a brief moment before landing gracefully on four wheels. After driving through what seemed like miles and miles of historic architecture and glassy structures and fountains and statues jutting from stone plazas, plazas we passed a weird-looking building, tall, with multicolored windows that reminded me of fish scales, and a shape that was, well, sort of elongated, like... Uh, a standing-up cucumber. That's the Torre Glorious. Isn't it fabulous, said Manny? Fabulous wasn't really the word for a cucumber-shaped building. I stared at it, though, through the... I stared at it through the car window. It's interesting, I finally replied. Eduardo guffawed from the driver's seat. You can say it. It looks like un pajarito, a very big one. A bird? I said with a frown. I mean, my Spanish was atrocious, but I could have sworn that pajarito meant bird. Manny leaned over and whispered to me, He means a penis. 
Oh. <laughs> I imagine I must have resembled one of those shocked cartoon characters with eyeballs popping out of their sockets. Manny covered his mouth with his hands and giggled. All of a sudden, Sara Montiel lurched to a stop. Eduardo pulled into a teensy parking space, and we got out. Or rather, I crawled from the back seat and inched my scrunched-up body through the door. How on earth would Eduardo and Manny fit all the vintage bargains they planned to buy into the matchbox car-sized trunk? I stretched my limbs and then twisted myself in the direction where they were headed. Whoa. El Sancans? I have no idea how to say this because it's in Catalan. Wasn't what I expected. There was a modern three-floor open-air structure with a roof that would have passed for a giant sheet of wavy tinfoil. Tons of people were milling around in all directions. I'd never seen anything like it. Vamonos, Eduardo said as Manny gestured for me to catch up. The closer I got, the more junk I could see. Plain old junk, junk with potential, and good junk. The stalls held a variety of artfully displayed antiques, Glass bottles, mirrors with age spots, piles of dusty books and toys, vintage clothing hanging from racks and old dress forms, and random crap like reclaimed wood planks. I gawked at Manny, who was fanning himself with a lace fan. How are you supposed to look through everything, I asked. There's just so much stuff. Manny shook his head. You're not. That would be impossible. I scanned all the, all the stalls, confused. Eduardo touched my shoulder and winked. We know where the good stuff is. Correct. We're Sukis with several of the sellers here. They know what we want. Sukis? Manny grinned. It's Tagalog for regular customers, he explained. But don't worry about us. You go wherever you want. We can meet back at the entrance in two hours. I nodded. Okay, thanks. Manny stretched his arm out like a dancer and waved. I watched his mint green t-shirt and Eduardo's striped shorts and straw hat disappear through the crowd. I had 25 euros to spend, thanks to Abuela Lola. I wandered inside, following the tide of bodies, stall after stall after stall. I was overwhelmed. There was so much of everything, it was hard to concentrate. Then a pile of cookbooks caught my eye. They were arranged on a table next to some enameled pots and pans. There was a book on how to cook tapas, with what looked like tomatoes made on the cover, another book with ratty pages about paellas, and one on desserts called the Baking Bible, which sounded too serious to me. Hola, nena. ¿Te interesan los libros de cocinar? Asked the old man minding the stall. I glanced at him and his mustache. There was no avoiding it. He wore a bright yellow Hawaiian shirt with parrots on it, but all I could see was his perfectly waxed mushroom, mustache, twisting on his cheeks like a pair of curly fries. Perfectly waxed mustache. <laughs> uh, no sé, I don't... American? He asked with a smile. My stomach lurched. Was he going to call me a guidi? Ugh, why did it feel like there was an American flag etched on my forehead? I glanced back down at the books, hoping he would stop talking to me. That's when I saw it, tucked underneath a cast-iron frying pan. Another cookbook on its spine, spelled out in bold letters, Tartin Bread. I suddenly didn't care about being called a guidi or having an imaginary red, and white, blue, red, white, and blue flag on my head. Excuse me, can I look at that book, I said, pointing at it? Mustachio man dusted the book off and handed it to me. It is Rebajas. Stay out. I give good price. I flipped through the pages, glancing at the recipes and photos of bread bakers and sourdough loaves of all sizes and shapes. It was practically brand new. The text was in English, too. I met Mustachio man's gaze, trying to look indifferent. How much? Sixteen euros, he said. That was more than half my money. I snapped the book shut. Ten. Fifteen. Twelve. Sol. 
i grinned guessing he meant sold i gave him the money and wrapped the book in brown pa he wrapped the book in brown paper and twine and then handed it to me gracias nina he said gracias i waved him back and jumped back into the crowd i passed a stall filled with knick-knacks another stall with rows and rows of old dolls of different hairstyles and outfits it was as if they were watching me there was one excuse me one in particular with lifelike emerald green eyes the doll had coiled ringlets of golden hair but her porcelain face was so badly cracked i feared she would fall apart in any moment creepy i hurried past dolls just the thought of them made my arm hair stand on end when i was really little my father would bring me home a doll every time he went on a business trip baby dolls barbie dolls girl dolls with braided yarn hair i hated all of them after a while he stopped buying me dolls in fact he stopped buying me much of anything i paused in front of a stall overflowing with vintage clothes and accessories something caught my eye tucked into the corner was a female half mannequin an antique one made out of resin or some sort of plaster she had a head of coiffed auburn hair and cornflower blue eyes around her neck was a silk scarf in shades of red orange and blue that reminded me of flames the kind that would flicker from an olympic torch a warm breeze blew past and the scarf fluttered making the mannequin look like a goddess it made me think of mom the tears were trying to squirm out i closed my eyes pressing my lids down hard i'm not going to cry is that behind i opened my eyes a woman dressed as if she belonged in an old hollywood movie was peering at me bien bien i mumbled her wine-colored lips curved into a smile te gusta algo she asked sweeping her manicured hands over the display i pointed at the flame scarf she followed my gaze ah si es precioso it was probably the most beautiful silk scarf i'd ever seen um how much para ti diez euros she replied with a wink diez was ten okay doable i didn't even want to haggle i nodded and reached for the back pocket of my jeans to grab my wallet but my pocket was flat empty my heart skipped a beat i nervously patted all my other pockets nothing nada where's my wallet did i leave it somewhere i glanced at the lady and mumbled be right back and then i ran to the stall um, where i bought the bread book but when i questioned mustachio man he just shrugged like he hadn't seen it or like he hadn't understood or like he didn't have a care in the world shoot what now i whirled around and around trying to find manny and eduardo a couple of minutes passed and finally i spotted a flash of mint green by a display of silver and glass trinkets i hurried past the crowd trying not to bump into anyone or anything manny i shouted as soon as he was within earshot when he saw me his brow furrowed alba are you okay my wallet i stared at him blankly and touched my back pocket with my hand it's gone manny tapped his forehead oh sweetie it's my fault i should have warned you warned me about what the pickpockets they're all over the place you should always be aware and keep your wallet and valuables somewhere safe he said gesturing at his zipped up tote bag oh i didn't know what else to say my face was numb and so were my fingers and feet it was a weird feeling i felt weak powerless like i'd been violated even though only thirteen euros an old school id and an empty metro card had been taken from me god i'm such a guidi even the pickpockets can tell um i'm so sorry alba here manny unzipped his bag took out his wallet handed me a twenty euro bill euro bill i stared at it and shook my head i can't i can't take that manny shoved it into my palm of course you can but i can't pay you back 
oh you will he said with a wink from time to time eduardo and i go out of town and you'll be in charge of watering our plants and what not thanks i tried to smile even though i was still shaken up embarrassed humiliated you name it then an image of abuela lola flashed in my mind it was her money that had been stolen her money that she'd given me manny you won't tell abuela lola will you i wouldn't want her to worry tell her what thanks i sighed with relief he winked again now go find yourself a treasure or two he said squeezing my shoulders a treasure a scarf mom's scarf i held the money tight in one fist tucked the cookbook under my arm and marched back into the crowd determined i may have been a tourist a visitor an outsider but i wasn't a greedy all right it is the end of chapter 19 the beginning of chapter 20 but i think i should stop before i get too 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 sleepy um 48 minutes that's not so bad okay i'm gonna stop now so i can read more tomorrow and not be a total sleepy zombie I love you, Elliot, and probably, if you're not Elliot, I probably love you too, if I know you. And if I don't know you, maybe we'll meet someday. Okay, sleep tight, or have a great day, whatever time it is where you are when you're listening to this. Bye!